John chapter 8, starting at verse number 1, and it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. Somebody say the temple. temple. I'll say it with your chest. Say the temple. The temple. Where was he at? The temple. Yeah. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. This was the custom of the day, which I want to try one day. Back in the day, the teacher would sit, and everybody else would stand. I'm going to try that one Sunday. I'm like, no, nah, my feet hurt now. Can you hurry up? No. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Can you say amen? amen. Oh, that's so good. So good. And just to add, just, just, just a little something, just for kicks and giggles. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, maybe one of my favorite verses of Scripture. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you say amen? amen. I want to preach today at Toyota Music Factory Lawrence for about three hours <laughs> using this as a title, Keep the Tension. Keep the Tension. I need you to help me preach. Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and just say neighbor. Oh, neighbor. It's important, it's important that you keep, keep the tension. Just in case that neighbor was stuck up, find another neighbor, find another neighbor. Come on, say other neighbor. Other neighbor. I'm telling you, it's so important that you keep the tension. If you believe God's going to speak to you, give him some praise in here. Woo! You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Keep the tension. The title that I've tagged this text with today doesn't necessarily emanate from the text. It actually comes from something that a personal trainer said to me some years ago. A personal trainer that I used to have. Emphasis on used 
to have. I don't even do personal one-on-one training anymore. I do group exercise now. That's my jam. Used to be Orange Theory, now it's Berries. I like group workouts, because if I'm gonna die, I wanna die in community. Somebody die with me, and I need the motivation sometimes. Say, well, you still running, and you 85, let me go ahead <laughs> and keep running myself. But I used to have this, this personal trainer, and this is how it happened. I'll never forget it. We started that first session. You know how the first session is. I was so excited. He's like, what's your goals? I said, I want to look like The Rock. It's easy. That's the goal. And, and we started the workout, and uh, I believe it was chest and shoulders that day. And this man offended me. He offended me because he brought over this little... These little, just, just little skimpy dumbbells, lightweight. And he said, take that. I said, bruh, <laughs> I said, I'm going to look like the rock. What are you handing me? I need bigger weights. He said, no, 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 take this. I took these little skimpy weights. He said, I want you to do some raises. And so I did the raises. I was like, this is dumb. What are we doing? This weight is too light. Then he said, no, we're going to do something else. And he pulled out a piece of exercise equipment that I don't know if you've seen it before, but it's very powerful. It's not big, but it's very powerful. In fact, I have it on me right now. That's how small it is. It's, have you, have you seen one of these before? The people that didn't make a reaction ain't never worked out before. What is that, a scrunchie? No, no, no. He pulled out one of these, and I had the lightweight in my hand, and I'm still laughing. I'm still laughing because I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? Come on, man, I can do this all day. I, this is nothing. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to do it, but keep the tension. And so now I got a lightweight. I got the scrunchie on my wrist. And when he told me to keep the tension, I was doing it. I'm telling Four reps in, I felt like I was about to have a heart attack. I had pain in muscles I didn't know I had. And then I started bringing it. He said, no, 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 no. Keep the tension. And I kept doing it, kept doing The next day, I was dying. I was dying. I got back to the workout. I said, hey, bro, no bands today. He's like, we ain't got bands. I said, good, because I didn't like that yesterday. He said, uh, we're going to do regular curls today. I said, cool, I already know how to do that, about time. And we grabbed, grabbed big old dumbbells. I was ready for the curls, and I started doing how I do the curls like that. He said, again, that, that, that's too heavy. He said, you need lighter weight. I said, bro, I'm trying to look like the rock. He said, lighter weight. I got the lighter weight. Then I started doing the curls. I said, bro, come on, man, this is too easy. He said, no, no, no. He said, this time I want you to do one second up and then... Four seconds down. So I started going. One, two. He said, slower. Three, four. Before you know it, my biceps are now sore. And I said, bruh, I don't think this little one-on-one training relationship is working out. I'm gonna do something different. I said, because I'm trying to get big. I'm trying to get like the rock. He said, I don't think you understand how working out works. He said, you don't just grow muscles by the amount of weight that you have. He said, you also grow your muscles by the amount of time your muscles are under tension. And it was intriguing to me that growth and tension were connected. That if I actually want to grow and get bigger, that it's important that the muscles have some time under tension. Isn't it crazy that growth and tension 
would be intricately connected. Isn't it crazy that, that, that in order to build your muscles up, you actually got to break the muscles down. That's why you're sore the next day and want to quit. You had to rip those muscles apart. And as they heal, they get bigger. But growth is connected to tension. So I came to tell somebody today, you've got to keep the tension. Tension is necessary for you to grow and to become who God has called you to be. As a matter of fact, as I'm encroaching upon 40 years old, I feel my wisdom about to kick in. I am learning as I get to 40 that there are some things in life that are problems that have to be solved, and there are other things that are actually tensions that have to be managed. Ooh, that was so good. I'm going to watch this again tomorrow. There are some things in your life, hear me, that are problems that need to be solved, but there are other things in your life that are actually tensions that need to be managed. And those tensions are not going away. You have got to grow up, go deeper, and learn how to manage the tension. Is there anybody in here that's old enough and mature enough to realize there are some things in your life that are just a tension that has to be managed? All the parents should be giving God praise right about now. If you have ever had a child in the middle of the night crying and keeping you awake, you realize, whoo, this is not a problem to be solved. Even though the sleepless night is making me Google adoption agencies. <laughs> this is a tension that has to be managed. Even our church, this organization, there are so many things I could go all day talking to you about tensions that have to be managed. I'll, I'll give you one. Here's a tension. We like to do things with excellence. I believe if you're going to do it in Jesus' name, you ought to do it with excellence. You ought to do it big. I believe the body of Christ ought to have the most creative things in the world. How dare we leave it to Beyonce to be creative? We serve the creative creator. I want to do things whoo, as big as we can and as awesome as we can and as excellent as we can. That is a tension whoo, that's put against financial responsibility. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Because we do have a budget, amen, and some of y'all don't tithe, amen. So the tension, the tension is doing things with excellence in Jesus' name, but also having fiscal responsibility. It, it is a tension that has to be. Man, I don't know who this is for, but I'm already preaching to you because you are praying away a tension in your life that God is actually using to grow you, that God is actually using to mature you. And if he takes away the tension, you're going to lose the strength that you need. I know, I know you want to be in a job where everybody has your personality and they walk in playing worship music and you don't have to fight anything and you all get along. But that's not growing you. That's not taking you deeper. You know what's growing you? It's having to work in that environment where your coworkers are heathens and having to go in there and have a whole prayer meeting before you walk in and say, Holy Spirit, help me to keep my mouth shut because they think just because I'm saved, I'm soft, and I do know some other words that ain't in the Bible. God, help me as I walk in here. There's something every day of you walking into that job in the tension Ooh, that is growing you. And keeping you stronger. Look at your neighbor and say, keep your tension. No, elbow them real good. Say, keep your tension. Trust me out. Because John, as he writes his gospel, he has the nerve, he has the unmitigated gall and the audacity to define our God in terms of attention. I love the gospel of John. John is different than Matthew, Mark, 
and Luke, he is not a synoptic gospel. He is an eyewitness account. I love the gospel of John. You know John. He's the disciple. I've told you. He always had his head on the chest of Jesus. He knew his heartbeat. Even in his gospel, he doesn't even refer to himself as John. He's so gangster, he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loves. <laughs> He's just letting people know for all of eternity, I was his favorite. I don't care what Peter said. I don't care what anybody else said. I am Jesus' favorite. And I love John because he's not so much concerned with the activity of Jesus. He's more so concerned with the identity of Jesus. He wants you to know who Jesus really is, that he was not just a good man, but he was a God man. He was God in the flesh. This is what John is trying to do. He's trying to let us know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. He does not start off with Jesus' earthly lineage. It's like He's retweeting the book of Genesis, letting you know who Jesus is. It is only in John's gospel that Jesus gives you seven statements of disclosure that let you know who He is. He says, I am the bread of life. I sustain you. He says, I am the light of the world. I can light up whatever dark situation that you are in. He says, I am who? The door of the sheep. He says, I am the resurrection and the light. Death does not have the final say. He says, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the true vine. Is this too much for a Sunday morning? He gives all these statements, letting you know who he is. But those words come straight from Jesus. But when John declares who Jesus is, he refers to him in a term that has some tension. Look at what he says. He says in verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If I had time, I would spend a whole lot of time on that right there. Because I love that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus knew that he could not redeem us from a distance, that he had to come down to where we are. To me, the incarnation of Jesus is the epitome of empathy. Because Jesus knew, i got to be able to feel what they feel and go through what they go through. I've got to come down to where they are. And far be it from the church to think that we can do anything opposite of what Jesus did. You think you can redeem and reach out to people from a distance? No, 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 no. Our Savior knew that he had to put on human skin and feel what you feel. If you face rejection, he faced rejection. If you've ever been lonely, he was lonely. If you ever had people betray you, how I many know oh, he had everybody betray him. There's not a single thing you've been through that our Savior has not been through himself. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he said, we beheld the wonder of his glory, the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth. Excuse me, John. Maybe you should have left who Jesus was to what Jesus said and just stuck with the I am statements. But what do you mean talking about Jesus is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, y'all. That is a tension. He defines who Jesus is who, with two words, grace and truth. Think of all the adjectives that we could ascribe to Jesus. How many of you know we could go all day talking about who our God is? We could say he is a healer. We could say he is a protector. We could say he is a provider. We could say he is a way maker. We could say he is a miracle worker. We could say he is the truth. We could say he is the light. We could go on and on and on and there would be a whole lot of commas. John says, forget the commas. I'm giving you a conjunction. 
You want to know who Jesus is? He is full of grace and truth. It is a tension that he describes the character of Jesus in. It's, it's a tension, grace and truth. A, a tension of grace and John, one of these things is not like the other. What you mean he's full of grace and truth? Them two things don't go together. Come on, can you consider just for a moment the grace of God, if you can, to think about the grace of God, to think that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've done it, no matter who you've done it with, that God's grace can still reach you. Oh, see, I got some bougie people in the room right here because you act like you floated in here and you had communion for breakfast. But there's some people in this room that know I needed so much of God's grace. If you knew what I did last week, if you knew what I did last summer, if you knew my real testimony, not the cute one I tell you in church, I am in need of the grace of God. No wonder the songwriter wrote, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. My version, saved somebody as ratchet as me. Don't act like you ain't never needed the grace of God. Think of his unmerited favor, his undeserved kindness. That is the grace of God. Grace is the basis of our salvation. You can't even come to Jesus unless you understand grace. Come here, Ephesians. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. Not of your works that any man should boast. But come on, how many are thankful that it was his work? It was his grace that was just a gift. He gave it to you. You didn't worship enough. You didn't praise enough. You didn't read Leviticus enough. You weren't saved enough. You just needed the unfathomable grace of God. God, oh, I'm thankful for his grace. Over 185 times in your Bible, you see the word grace. The first time you see the word grace is actually in the book of Genesis. And it is with Noah. And they start talking about grace. And it says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first time grace makes a cameo appearance. And what a place for grace to show up. The Bible story where we tell these little kids, Jesus, God, took out everybody. <laughs> Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Do you understand that Noah found grace even in the midst of a culture that was so wicked and God called out Noah and used him to build an ark. The ark was God's grace. The fact that there was a place that he said, if you would just respond, I have a place of protection for you. Do you know it was 75 to 100 years between the time God told him to build the ark and the flood actually came? That means your God was given almost 100 years of grace just trying to tell people, come on, come on, repent, turn back to me. I don't know who this is for. You think you've gone too far? I'm telling you, you cannot out God's grace. He is quick to show grace. So on one hand, you got God's grace, and right when you think that you can relax in His grace, and you're taking a bath in His grace, and you're chilling in His grace, and you're like, let me turn up some more. He got grace. <laughs> then you got truth, His standard, His holiness. His, his holiness is so high. It would be like us having a contest today and say, saying, who can touch the top of the Toyota Music Factory? Let's have a contest. How many know I might get higher than you? You might get higher than me. LeBron will get higher than all of us. But look at the gap. Look at how far off we would be. This is God's truth, his 
standard that cannot be changed, the truth of God. That's why whenever he was on earth, he agitated people because he was walking truth. He was truth personified. And every time he ran to religious people, he revealed who they really were and they couldn't stand it. Because you know, people don't like truth. People can't handle the truth. That's why we tell ourselves lies and we deceive ourselves. We don't like truth. Truth is the pill that we like to give everybody else, but we don't like to swallow. Oh, we, we can't handle truth. And yet your God says, I am the perfect amalgamation of grace and truth. I am not 50% grace, 50% truth. I am 100% grace and 100% truth. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you that the gospel flies on grace and truth. And if we are to reveal who Christ is in the earth, we must live in the tension of grace and truth. And that is hard to do. Because some of you in this room, some of y'all are more grace people. Where are my grace people at? Look at them. They're like, yeah, it's okay. See how slow it took you to raise your hand? Because everything's cool. Grace people, they're so kind. They're like, let's just love everybody. It's all right. It's okay. Grace people, the people that are 60 social, they keep talking. Because they just love grace. They just, just can't we all just get along? <laughs> grace people, y'all are amazing. The, 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 the problem with your grace people, sometimes in your effort to give grace, you feel like you have to lower the standard of truth. <laughs> then you got the truth people. And y'all can't stand 60 social. Like, hurry up. I didn't come here for all that. I came here to get the word. Why worship so long? Okay, enough. Let's get the word. Oh, y'all love the truth, don't you? Oh, they will tell you the truth. Truth people will shoot you and not wait to see you fall. Truth people will come on your page. Ain't never said nothing kind, but they got something salty to say. All of us. Oh, truth people will point that finger so quick. So you're just mad because I'm telling you like it is. See, that's why you don't like me. But they forget. And they point that finger. <laughs> oh, you got something pointing right back at you. Finish the message. <laughs> and they also forget that you're loud about your truth now, but there will come a day you will need the grace that you refuse to give to other people. So it is, it is a tension of grace and truth. How, how do you keep the tension? Churches struggle with this. This is why it's important that preachers preach the whole counsel of God because there's some churches who y'all going to hell every Sunday And people like love to hear it <laughs> Yeah, tell me how messed up I am and Every Sunday they got a preacher saying get it together You can do better. What's wrong with you? Showing up at 1015. You obviously don't love them enough to come at 10 o'clock Personality truth true truth and then you got some churches that are strong on the grace. But it's all right, bro. I'm glad you came in at 10.30, man. I'm just glad you're here. Did you get coffee? <laughs> it's all right, man. You just love. Do what you want. <laughs> Even churches are trying to balance the tension of grace and truth. And yet your God says, I am the perfect tension. Tension between grace and truth, and we don't see it better, hear me, than in John chapter 8. 
In John chapter 8, something crazy happens, y'all. Jesus was where? Was where? In the temple. And as he's preaching, early in the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees kick open the back door, drag in a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery, throw her in the middle of the church and say, Jesus, stop the sermon. We just caught this woman in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says she should be, here. She should be stoned. What do you say? Ooh, you want to talk about some tension. Can you imagine what the church service felt like that day? I'm just imagine it now. Can you imagine me preaching and somebody come through those doors and bring in a woman who just been caught in adultery and say, uh, Pastor Robert, we just caught her in the act. What you got to say about it? Uh, security. I really, thank God for the modern day church. I, can you imagine the tension that was in the room? I don't know what Jesus was preaching, but I know that he lost the room when she came in. I know that everybody was honed in in that moment, but maybe she wasn't an interruption. Maybe she was an opportunity for him to show them that I know how to live in the tension of grace and True. Every communicator will tell you that if you're going to keep attention, you better have some tension in the room. And they burst in the temple. Say, Jesus, you caught her in the act. What do you have to say? Can you imagine the shock? This is different than what I preached about last week with the dude that came through the roof. Because come on, when a paralytic comes through the roof, everybody's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, Jesus, do healing. Come on, when blind Bartimaeus interrupts Jesus and says, Lord, son of David, have on me. Everybody's like, oh, he about to see. He about to. We can handle those interruptions. We don't know how to handle scandals. She's still got the sheet wrapped around her. She is in a holy sanctuary. And I bet you could cut the silence and the tension with the knife as the scribes and Pharisees say, we finally got him. And what you got to say about this? Can you imagine the gas that were in the air? Can you imagine the people that, I can't, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Church people are so funny. Because although they were shocked, they shouldn't have been that shocked. It's not like they hadn't seen adultery before. I'm willing to bet there were those in the room. <laughs> We're doing the same thing. What made tension in the room is now somebody's private issue has gone public. And there is nothing like a private issue going public that makes us start scrolling and looking and go, ooh, how could that? Because it takes the light off of you. And we all watch because they become the social experiment for all of us to see, well, how are they going to treat them? They'll let me know how y'all gonna treat. Oh, y'all won't mess with y'all today. <laughs> keep, keep, 
Can you imagine how many people were shocked in the room? But I came to tell you of all the people that were shocked in the room. There was one people, one person that was not shocked. There was one people that did not get person that did not gasp for air. There was one person that didn't go, OMG. No, it was Jesus. I want to pause right here and tell somebody, Jesus is not shocked by your sin. Jesus is not intimidated by sin. As a matter of fact, he came from heaven to earth to die and defeat death and defeat sin. He is not shocked by your sin. I know you're shocked about it. I know you're shocked about what you did, but I want to pause and thank God that he is not intimidated, nor is he shocked by anybody's sin. Oh, see, the Pharisees thought that because this was a scandal, they were going to get a reaction out of Jesus because they thought that he, oh, they were like doing like a TMZ. Oh, it's a scandal. We're going to get a reaction because they were reducing Jesus to humanity because you know how we do. Let's be honest. We see sin in categories. Come on, y'all. You know we see sin in categories. We see big sins and little sins. We see sin in categories. You're like, oh, they just did that? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. But God does not see sin in categories. We see it in You know how ridiculous it is to see sin in categories? It's like this one time, my dad and I, I'll never forget it. We were trying to be healthy and we were trying to do right. And he was traveling with me one day. And we said, hey, we're eating clean this week, eating clean this week. And uh, we had an amazing meal good little kale salad, and uh, everything was good. Then we're about to get the bill, and I get up, and I go to the bathroom, and I come back, and my dad has a whole piece of pecan pie. I said, Dad, what are you doing? Didn't we say we're going to eat clean this week? My Nigerian father did as only he can only do. He said, don't worry about me, okay? Worry about yourself. I said, I, I thought we were doing good. And you're sitting up here eating pecan pie. The waitress comes. She says, uh, man, sir, did you want uh, some dessert? I said, no, I'm saved, and I know how to keep a commitment. I said, so I ain't doing no dessert. She said, are you sure you just want to see the menu? I said, let me, just, let me just look at it. Let me just look at it. I look at it, and y'all, they had this cheesecake on the menu, that this fresh cheesecake that they had. And I said, you know, I'm going to go ahead. Let, let me, I said, just do a little slice, a little slice. Little slice. And so my pops has the pecan pie and, and I got my cheesecake and I'm eating cheesecake. He's eating the pecan pie. I'll never forget it. How dumb would it look for me to be judging my father about his pecan pie and feeling good about myself because I got cheesecake. Talking about, well, at least mine has a strawberry on it. I'm getting my fruit for the day. How ridiculous does that look? That's how we look, judging other people's sin, seeing it in category. My body does not care whether it's pecan pie, cheesecake, or key lime pie. My body is not counting the flavor. It is counting the calories, and it's still affecting me the same. And that is what God is saying. He said, I don't see sin in categories. I see sin, the, the sins of the flesh, which you're bringing this woman in for and the sins of a filthy, self-righteous, religious spirit that hides itself in religious activity. He said, they're both detrimental, and they're both affecting your body. And so they thought they could get Jesus on the shock factor. We caught him in the act. What do you have to say? The Bible says that Jesus, I'm sure he looked at them and saw the hatred in their eyes because they loved their position more than they loved God's presence. They didn't even care about her. She was just a pawn to trap him. 
I'm sure he looked at the woman who had to be embarrassed. Surely she wanted to meet Jesus, but she didn't want to meet him like this. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, God, I wanted to encounter you, but I didn't want to encounter you this way. And the shame is covering her face. Jesus, the law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you have to say? Oh, they had him. They were doing this to trap him. And here's how I'm telling you this was a good trap. It, it was a great trap because the Pharisees were right. The law of Moses was clear in Deuteronomy that the act of adultery, if you caught somebody in the act, they were to be stoned. They were right. Oh, because the Pharisees knew the word. They knew the word. They knew the letter of the law, but they had forgotten the spirit of the law. Isn't it crazy how you can be right and still be wrong? They thought they were so right in their act. We, we know what the word says. Do you? Do you know what the word says? Because it actually says in Deuteronomy that if you happen to catch somebody in the act, which was actually hard to do, because if you don't catch somebody in the act and... If you catch somebody in the act, I'm trying to be careful because kids are in the service. What that means, instead of like, you up here. That's what you got to do with your free time? Checking on other people? You don't got anything else with purpose to do? See, some of y'all need some purpose and you wouldn't be so worried about what other people are doing. If you have purpose, you ain't got time to be looking at windows. says if you catch somebody act, first of all, you got to catch them in the act. Then you got to bring the woman and the man. So my question is where if we really trying to uphold the law, where to do that? See their hypocrisy. <laughs> and they say, what do you have to say? But they thought they had him. They thought they had him. They didn't know that he was the word made flesh. They didn't know that you can't stump a God who is omnipotent, all-powerful. You can't stump a God who is the Word. You can't stump a God who is omniscient, all-knowing, infinite in all awareness, understanding, and insight. And they said, we got him. We got him. They thought they had him backed up against the corner. Because think about it. If he says, don't stone her, he is now trampling on the very law that he said he came to fulfill. And you know them, they had his podcast download. Uh, you said, you didn't come to abolish the law, you came to fulfill it. So, on the other hand, if he says, stoner, let the stoning begin. Get a big rock, knock out. Now the message of the Savior who is full of love and compassion, now the message is not come to Jesus and find grace. Now the message is come to Jesus and get stoned to death. And so now he is in this predicament, and they're like, we got him. Jesus, what do you have to say? And the Bible says, he just turns, stoops down, and starts doodling in the dirt. All where they're standing in interrogation mode. Ah, the law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? 
Did he hear us? Say it again. Maybe he'll say something. Ah! Oh! <laughs> Jesus! We're serious now. We got her. And we got you. <laughs> Lord Moses says, she should be stoned. What do you say? He acted like he didn't hear. I don't know who this is for, but I want to parenthetically pause right here and say, stop giving a response and a reaction to every single thing in your life. This is actually a trick of the enemy. The enemy does real good in bringing chaos in your life because he wants a reaction. Is there anybody in here that knows what it's like to have the enemy throw something in your temple just to get a reaction out of you? You don't have to say something all the time. You don't have to reply to every negative comment some stuff you need to just be quiet some stuff you need to shut your mouth some stuff you need to let God defend you God knows how to defend you but if you keep stepping in the way he can't defend you sometimes you need to know the gift of shutting up he didn't say anything at all he just wrote in the dirt and left them in the tension of thinking he didn't know what to do He's doodling in the dirt. Somebody come play real soft. Yeah, we'll make this sound real spiritual. <laughs> I can see everybody waiting to see what is he going to do? They caught Jesus. They caught this woman. And he's not saying anything. He's kneeling down and he's writing in the dirt. Do a Google search when you get home and you will see all kinds of scholarly essays of people trying to figure out what he wrote. This got to be on the top 10 list of questions in the Bible. What was Jesus writing in the ground? People for ages have made all kinds of guesses postulating what the powerful Savior wrote. Some people say he wrote Jeremiah 17, 3. Some people say that uh, I heard one of this old school preacher say he wrote, Amazing Grace. <laughs> How sweet the sound. <laughs> I'm thinking, I think that song came later. I don't. <laughs> it's all kinds of theories. There's one theory that says he wrote the names of all the men that gathered the rocks that day and their sin next to their name. So they were getting ready to throw it. Then they looked down and saw their name and what they did. And they're like, you know what? I didn't want to be here anyway. I had stuff I had to do. I, I don't know what he wrote. I don't know that. I, I, I don't know. Matter of fact, I, I got a little guess. I got a guess. I do know this is one of the only times that we see the finger of God writing in Scripture. Writing anything, actually. You know, the other time we see the finger of God is actually in Exodus. Chapter 31, verse number 8. It says, And when Moses had made an end of speaking with whom, with him on the mountain, that is God, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. I don't know. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. And instead of stone, 
He's now writing in the dirt. Because hearts of stone can never keep the law. The law is not sufficient. I can't get to truth until I have an encounter with grace. I, I don't know what he wrote, and I won't pretend to know. Matter of fact, I don't care. I don't want to be distracted by what he was writing that I'll miss what he was doing. Because when these religious Pharisees brought this woman in the presence of Jesus and threw her down on the ground, when everybody else was standing up while she was on the ground, the first reaction and response of your God and my Savior was to come down on the ground where she was. I don't want to miss what he was doing by focusing on what he was writing. I'm thankful for a God that when this woman was caught in the act and she was guilty and religious self-righteous men stood above her, it was only the king of the universe that came down to where she was. He put his fingers in that dirt. I don't know what he wrote in that dirt. I do know he's the same God that reached down in Genesis and started forming and shaping some dirt. I do know that God has never been intimidated by dirty things. That's the beauty of His grace, that He can take dirty, broken things and still get the glory out of it. Is there anybody in here that is thankful that when you were caught in the act of your sin, that your God was willing to come down to where you were? That's the power of the gospel is that when the law had us caught in our sin, the Savior of the universe chose to come down where we were. I don't have a profound message for you today. I do have the simplicity of the fact that you serve a God that will come down to where you are. You know where the Pharisees messed up? They thought they were bringing this woman to Jesus to shame her. They didn't know they were bringing her to Jesus and he was about to change her. That's the one thing I got to give the Pharisees props for. They didn't have the right motive in doing it, but they brought her to the right person. And I don't know who this is for today, but you ought to come to Jesus with your pain. You ought to come to Jesus with your issues. See, the enemy wants to keep you away, but you ought to come right to the presence of God, even in all your dirt, even in all your issues. They brought her to the right person. He wrote in the ground, and they demanded an answer because that's what the law does. The law demands an answer when you're caught. Hear me, there was no doubt she was guilty. And the Bible says that Jesus raised himself up and looked at them. And in one sentence, he is without sin among you. Throw a stone at her first. Didn't even wait on their response. Turned right back around and went right back to doodling in the dirt. He who is without sin among you, throw a stone at her first. Ooh, look at the genius of Jesus. He's not denying the law of Moses because truth is truth. 
You can't deny truth. We live in a culture that wants to change truth to give grace. You can't change truth. He said, I'm not denying the law of Moses. You're right. The law of Moses says she should be stoned. He said, but by the law of Moses, I'm just denying that any of y'all are worthy to do the stoning. He said, I'm not saying she's guilty. She is guilty. I'm just saying if there's nothing on you, then you'll be the first one to throw the rock. Do you know what he's saying? He's getting to the heart of where they were. He's saying, I see you. He said, I know you don't have any desire to uphold the law. Otherwise, you would have brought the man. You are in on this and you set her up. And in your self-righteous, pompous, arrogant pride, you don't realize you're not different than the woman that's on the ground. Do you know why people always pick up rocks? It's because you see yourself different than the other people that are going through stuff. But when you know that you need grace, you're never the first one to pick up a rock. He is who, he is who thou sent among you. Throw a stone at her first. And the Bible says one by one, they dropped their rock. Can you see this woman? She's thinking, surely he's going to uphold the law. I'm about to die. She was so covered in shame. She didn't even realize that Jesus took care of what she was worried about. How do you know that? Because once every single one of them dropped their rock, Jesus finally comes to her and says, Woman, woman, hello? Where are your accusers? Why would Jesus ask that question? He would ask that question because her head had to be so covered in shame that she didn't even notice that Jesus had dismissed the people that were trying to kill her. I don't know who this is for, but you've had your head down so long that you don't even realize that Jesus has dismissed and taken care of the thing that you've been ashamed of. Do you realize you are already forgiven? If he has forgiven you, why do you keep replaying all your past mistakes? This is a trick of the enemy to keep you to still feel the weight of the guilt and the shame. But I came to tell you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop feeling the shame of about. The thing that your God has already dismissed, this is your moment to lift up your head and do what that woman had to do and look around and see that the only one that was actually sinless enough to throw the rock chose not to throw it and dismissed every single one of her accusers. I need somebody to give God some praise if you're thankful that he has dismissed your accuser, that he has dismissed the one that always comes with condemnation. I just got to walk and hold my head up high and remember that I am forgiven and remember that I am loved and remember that his blood has washed my sins. Stand to your feet. I'm done. He says, woman, where are your accusers? She looked around finally and said, I have none, Lord. Are you going to condemn me? Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. This woman got an encounter with grace so that she could walk in the truth. This is why in the tension, grace comes before the truth. 
because I have to be swept away by his grace. And it is as I see the grace of God that my heart desires to walk in the truth. See, church people get it backwards sometimes and they think Christianity is about keeping the rules and the truth and the truth and I got to do this and what can I not do and you're trying to come to the truth first but often it is opposite you have to have an encounter with his grace this is not something about what you do this is about what has been done for you and once you get a revelation of what he has done for you the grace you walk in truth and you live in the tension see grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. But grace and truth is medicine. You serve a God who says, I am the tension. And when you come to me, you'll see that I'm full of grace and truth. I love you enough to take you just the way you are but I also love you enough to not let you stay where you are. I don't know who this is for today, but you need an encounter with the Savior who is full of the grace and the truth. I'm gonna ask heads to be bowed and eyes be closed. I'm talking to somebody today who maybe you feel like this woman and the enemy has just flooded your mind with shame and all the mistakes that you made. And you think that Jesus is ready to take a rock and throw it at you. But look at the character of our Savior. He who is without sin among you throw the first stone. He was the only one that was qualified to throw the stone. And he chose not to. And hear me, that doesn't mean that there was no consequence. Oh, somebody was going to pay. Somebody's body was going to be beaten, but it was not that woman, and it was not the Pharisees. It was his body. He said, I'm going to pay the price. And some of you are beating yourself up for a Savior whose body was broken for you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you're in here today and say, I need to encounter this Savior, I need to give him my life. This is just the simplicity of the gospel. He is full of grace and truth. He is the perfect tension. That's you today. You say, Pastor Robert, I need to give him my life today. I've been running. Maybe there's a season of your life you were walking with the Lord, but you turned away, maybe because of some Pharisees that gathered some rocks. You said, I have nothing to do with the church, and you have projected the character of church people onto our God, and he is not that way. He is full of grace and truth. That's you today. Would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it, saying, today's the day I need to give him 
my life. I need to come home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see hands going up all over this place today. Thank you, God. I'm talking to some of you who maybe you've been walking with the Lord, but I just believe that there is, uh, there is, there is power in this place today to break the stronghold of shame. Shame has just kept you down. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it. God wants to break that off of you today, 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 today. Thank you, Jesus. You do not have to keep beating yourself up over what you did five years ago. You've got to walk in the fullness of your new identity. Thank you, God. Anybody else, lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Here's what I want to do. This is not to embarrass you. I just think it's something powerful about leaving where you are and coming to a new place. How many of you know this woman did not want to come to Jesus that day? She was brought there in front of all those people, but she left that place after she had an encounter with grace and truth. She left with her head held high. And so I'm just going to ask this. When I count to three, if you lifted up your hand or you should have, I'm going to ask you to be so bold and so brave and just come up here to the front. And you are saying the old me is staying in that seat but the new me is ready to step into my new identity, not full of shame, not condemned, but knowing that I'm an overcomer. Come on, some of y'all are already moving. One, this is your moment. Two, don't worry about what anybody else is going to think. Three, three, I want you to come. Come on, this is your day. This is your moment. Have an encounter with this Savior who is full. He is full of grace and truth. Come on, church, don't stop clapping until people stop coming. This is a big deal. This is a big moment. Come on, come on, come on. God, I thank you that your grace is stronger than shame. God, I thank you that your truth is stronger than the lie. God, I thank you that you're calling your sons and your daughters home. God, thank you that no matter what we've done or where we've been, God, your grace is still can reach us. Come on, come on. I don't care if you're all the way in that top balcony. This is your moment. This is your day. This is not an accident. You had to be at Toyota Music Factory today because your father's calling you home. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else I want you to come? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Anybody else? This message is not just to the woman caught. It is also to the church. To not be a church that has rocks in our hands, but to be a church that will get down in the dirt with people. Jesus was the only one that was willing to go down to where she was. And I apologize if you had somebody in a church throw a rock at you. even if they were touting truth without the grace. Come encounter a Savior who has always been the perfect tension of grace and truth. Anybody else? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to wait a few more moments because I know how the enemy works. And they'll try to get in your mind and say, don't come all the way down there. What are people going to think? Who cares what people will think? This is your Savior. He says, when you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. You know when he's calling you. He's calling you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Yeah, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. 
Come on, matter of fact, I want to exercise. I want to exercise something that we should do as the body of Christ. If, would you do me a favor if you're in your seat and would you ask the person to your right and to your left, do you need to go down? And if they say yes, go with them. Go with them. Ask them, do you need to go down? Because I'll go with you. Ask them, ask them. And if they say yes, walk down with them. Walk down with them. Come on, that's why we've been having these all together Sundays. You need somebody. You cannot do this thing by yourself. You need the church. You need community. Is the church perfect? No. But it's still his bride that he loves, that he died for. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, I see you coming. Ask him, do you need to go down? Because I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. Come on. It's not too late. Come on. Can we sing? Fear is not my future. You are... I just wanted to sing this over you just before we pray. He came to give you a hope and a future. Father, break shame off of us. Fear is not my future. You are, you are. Fear is not my future. You are, Thank you, you are. Thank you, Jesus. Fear is not my future. You are, thank you, God. You are, fear is not my future. You are, thank you, God. You are, I have a hope and a future. Fear is not my future. You are, you are, hey. fear is not my future. You are, you are, hey. fear is not my future. You are. up your hands all over this place today. This is a sign of surrender to a Savior who is full of grace and truth. I'm going to give you the words, but you just say this from your heart today, especially those of you who responded. You say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I cannot do life without you. Lord, I know and you are full of grace and truth. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace that I didn't earn, that I don't deserve. Thank you, Jesus, for the truth. I refuse to live in the lie 
this moment forward. I'm walking with you. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. All that I am is yours. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen.